Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Movie Madness with me, your host, Khalil Jamal. I will be joined shortly by Evan Reese, who is the director, writer, and star of the upcoming movie, Going In. Hello, everyone. So I'm back today with Evan Reese, who is the director of a very interesting movie, actually. So I want to start this off by asking you to give the audience a little bit of like, you know, like an elevator pitch for the movie. So they kind of know from, you know, the creator's mouth what the movie's about. Sure. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, From the creator's mouth. Well, I would say this is um, an 80s movie set in Toronto. So elevator pitch is basically so many films are shot in Toronto, but they masquerade as other cities. You have Chicago, New York, you know you know, we're here and we always pick up and, oh, it's that's Toronto, that's Toronto, whereas this is unapologetically, it's shot in Toronto. It's in 1989. So historically, it's very accurate. And um, yeah, that's about it. it. It's kind of like there was a dearth there of uh, not having any films set in Toronto by Torontonians. So this is it. So they, this was a short film, right? And it became a feature. Now, that must be a difficult process because I don't know if you had a feature in mind when you made the short, but you have to, the feature is obviously significantly longer. So how did you kind of decide how you were going to, I guess, make it long, but also not take away from what made it a good short film? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So the process is, is very chronological. So it started off as just an idea, then it became kind of a bigger idea, and then it became a short film or proof of concept, like you mentioned. So we shot the short basically in order to gauge if there was interest to make a feature length film. So we kind of shot it almost as if a trailer, you know, there are certain beginning points, but no end points for it. So it's like a sizzle to be like, Hey, look what we can do. Let's raise some money. We were able to raise over 40 grand. And then that became, you know, okay, now we've raised this money. There is some accountability. We have to make a feature length film. So it was a beginning point where, you know, if you watch the short, uh, it is very different tonalities to it it's more of like a comedy whereas the feature film is definitely different it is I wouldn't say matured but over time it just became something else so all the concepts that are from the short then developed into something else into what is the feature film so the thing I noticed with this film and I'm not going to spoil it but I'm going to talk more in generalities here um again just because I don't want to spoil the movie but mm -hmm. the it, it kind of starts off very almost seriously and then I feel like at the end, it kind of goes a little bit, you know, almost over the top and, and it's it not a not in a bad way, but, you know, it just it kind of changes tonally um, once you get to the, I guess, the very end of that movie. What was like, what was the decision there? Like, why did you say this is how this kind of movie, which, you know, is a very serious movie about, you know, drugs and, and about, you know, gangs and, 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 and kind of tonally is very serious. And then it just kind of goes a little bit crazy. And, you know, what was the process behind that? Um, I guess for me, um, like, like I mentioned how the original short was kind of a, a buddy cop kind of action style. Whereas when you when you try for years and years to fund a movie, um, it be, stops. It, be, it becomes less and less funny as you go along. However, my background is in comedy writing. I used to do stand up. I've written for a bunch of different things. Whereas for this project, because I wanted to make it more of a serious movie, tonally underneath it, there is quite a bit of comedy. Like like you mentioned, it does get a bit wild at the end. But I feel like um, 
using the 80s kind of as a vehicle where such crazy things were able to happen back then in movies you'd be like oh it was the 80s like you know this stuff you could get away with i definitely lean into that so as it goes further along it still is very serious throughout it i think the conviction and none of the characters know what's going on is ridiculous however the audience slowly begins to realize hey ideally like wow this just gets crazier and crazier and i don't think it's it's never written for laughs but in terms of context, it is inherently humorous. I think just how, as it goes along and as, as it gets more and more serious, it gets crazier and crazier. So this film, I think, it, it does some interesting things with racial dynamics, right? Because you have, you know, the, the two characters, one's white and one's black, obviously, you're one of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's the basketball scene, which I think sticks out in my mind particularly, right? where your character, and I don't think this is a spoiler to say, but your character is really good at basketball, right? And sure. um, what was, I guess, like, was there an intent there to like, you know, cause there are these, I guess, myths, right? Or there are these like ideas, especially when you look at a movie, you know, set in the eighties where it's like, you know, this white guy can't play basketball essentially. And was there like an intent behind that? Or was that just kind of like the way it ended up working out? Well, definitely. I mean, that scene is a huge homage to one of my favorite movies, White Man Can't Jump, which is great um, in the way that, you know, this movie, it's set in 1989. So obviously we wanted to make it seem like everything there was copacetic. It, it, if you were to watch this movie or show this movie to someone who didn't know what year it was from, they could believe it was from 1989. And we did that through fashion, through the music, through the editing, through the acting, everything. And so that scene, it was basically to demonstrate, yeah, I mean, this is... This is how this happened back then. And that's referencing all kinds of basketball movies from back then to kind of bring you into that world. And in that case, the character, you know, there's a lot of alcohol involved. And uh, that's kind of the beginning where it really gets unwinding, where it's like, wow, they, they really start to get a bit crazy. So how did you cast this movie? Because I think everyone kind of works in their roles, but yet at the same time, like, they're not... I mean, I was just going through some of their IMDb things just to see, and they're not super well-known actors. Like, how did you kind of find this cast, which, again, all works so well together? Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, When you're working, you know, at a very small budget, uh, micro budget and a non-union level, casting is obviously paramount for, you know, um, we can't afford to have, you know, awesomely well-known actors that just wouldn't work for the budget level. So casting was important for me, being an actor and also a director, um, to audition people. And then if I really like someone, I would kind of cater the role to them. So many people, like Tiger, for example, that was supposed to be a little skateboarding kid. And when we got to it, I was like, wow, this guy, he just empowers something else entirely. Let's now rewrite the character around him, where he's like, you know, smoking cigarettes, more of an attitude, that type of thing. So I definitely was able to find some cool talent. The announcer, in my opinion, did a fantastic job. He is obviously very, very theatrical and he's classically trained. He's done Shakespeare and stuff. So for him, I was able to ramp him up and literally put the spotlight on him as, as you see in the scene where it's like, you know, casting is, is huge, but also it really helps me as a writer and as a director to kind of lean into their talents. So kind of to talk about the original concept for this movie, right? Because again, you are the lead in this movie and it, it feels a little bit like, like, was this a story which you kind of came about based on your own life or was there, 
or was there any part of this that was real or was this just purely fiction or yeah I, it's definitely not based on on real life like i'm i'm not uh a crazy alcoholic or anything <laughs> that's what you're getting at uh no it's definitely it's um because it's set in the 80s and because we employ a lot of the tropes and a lot of like the archetypes and all those things that kind of exist in a formulaic 80s movie I was able to kind of um write based on what people would expect so because there's so many you know there, there's such a, a massive genre of 80s kind of blockbuster action and the neo-noir kind of like slower burn type movies I think I was able to kind of blend all of them together. And in doing so, you know, you get certain things like the glasses, which really, if that existed in the current movie, people would be like, well, that doesn't work. But set back then, you can kind of get away with stuff like that. And classic tropes, you can kind of spin. And I think if it all works together in a package cohesively, which is how you shoot it, how it's acting, how the score, the music, all that stuff, I think it works. And that was the intent to make a front to back package of an 80s movie set in Toronto that is its own thing it's obviously weird it's obviously there are certain funny moments but I think it works or at least that was the intention that it really is like it feels and breathes like it could be from the 80s so I think that that kind of works into the next question because so because it's about like the the it's about a drug epidemic right and it's about this uh you know this very dangerous substance pearl right um it, it's interesting because even though it's set in, in the 80s and obviously based in the 80s, it's not an, like a, a concept which is unfamiliar to people in Toronto today, right? We look at like, you know, all of the different, you know, the drug problems here now, right? Like, was there some level of either you realizing later, wait a second, this still, even though this is based on the 80s, it, it's super relevant to today. Like, it's not like this problem is, is gone or, or, you know, look at fentanyl, right? Which Of course, yeah, it's obviously very... Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's very applicable. Um, and I think for that, like the the genesis behind that was, you know, in the late 80s, all of the PSAs, like, you know, the, the classic public service sound for kids, don't do drugs, stay alert, stay safe, all these ones. I know you're a bit younger than me, but, you know, there was there was so many like it's 6 p.m. Do you know where your kids are? There was this it was that era. And me being a little kid, being like, wow, this this sticks with you. Whether they have puppets that are on drugs in the commercials, whether it's um, block parent, you know, stay at home, all these types of things, that was really, I guess, locked in my brain of being like late '80s, early '90s. This was a huge thing, especially for kids on TV. So to create a drug epidemic that obviously is is very rampant to this day in certain neighborhoods, in certain countries, certain continents, I think it will always be applicable. But obviously, I created a fictitious drug that uses fantastical elements to it. Not to do any spoilers, but if, if you watch a trailer, you can tell that, you know, really much employs out-of-body experiences. So when you look at the relationship between your character, Leslie and 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 Ruben, right? Ruben, who, by the way, reminds me very much of The Matrix, um, you know, but what was, so was, what was that relationship like? And, and how did you kind of develop that throughout the movie? What was the process for how you wanted to develop that? Um, well, the the actor who plays Ruben Goldstein is a good friend of mine, Ira Goldman. We created this character and this kind of concept from the very beginning. So from the short film all the way through is that, you know, he loves 80s movies as much as I do. So we really wanted to create this cool, unique character. And like you said, there are some uh, some similarities to, to Morpheus from The Matrix, but also going back to the 80s, like, you know, this guy is very... Uh, 
he's not the most articulate and he's not the most uh like he, he basically doesn't get very excited until the very end so there are definitely developments there that we we work on this character together to be like a classic 80s guy um a character that you don't really know from the beginning whether it's a good guy or a bad guy you don't know their history and as you go along you kind of peel back the layers and say oh okay this is why they're like this this is why they're friends now obviously i'm sure you have attachment to all of the characters in this in this movie right now if you had to go through the 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 characters right and you had decided it, i'm going to make an, a, another movie right a spin-off movie let's say and it's going to be based around this character and it can't be any of the main characters so it has to be one of like the smaller characters who would you decide to kind of make that spin-off movie about would fang be allowed no no <laughs> okay uh, in which case, I would probably say Finn. Finn, the guy who was just basically in the car, he has the info. He's such an oddball. Pretty much, he's 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 in the film for for one scene. You don't know why he's there. You don't know why he has his info. He's clearly rocking out in his car. I think for him, it would be interesting to kind of get a, a a slice of life. Why is this guy like this? How does he know about the criminal underground? How does he know about this stuff? He probably works in a garage somewhere, maybe maybe as, as a cook. He just kind of like is in and out of that scene. And I think obviously just because that actor, Ricky Wright, he pulled it off so nice. I think that would be a really weird kind of spinoff where kind of like a Kramer-esque character from Seinfeld. Do you have any others? I'm just curious because there's so many characters uh, in the movie where I'm like sitting here and I'm like, I really want to see more of these characters. Like, I think I think obviously X the basketball player. He is yeah. fantastic. Played by Alan Shane Lewis, who is a great comedian. He now hosts the great Canadian Bake Off. He's awesome in that. Again, uh, one scene, but for me, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. He's so good in it. So I think definitely him. Um, that would be cool to kind of uh, unpackage why he is the way he is and, and what's next for him. That would be that would be probably more comedy based, actually, just because Alan is, is so good and he has great comedy jobs. Now, what do you have any regrets looking back at this movie like things where it's not necessarily like you know oh i wish i did that more you know if, if circumstances were different i would have liked to do that right i definitely would have liked to have released it years ago when we shot it <laughs> that's the biggest regret obviously it was not much uh we didn't have much control over it right when it was ready to be you know released the uh pandemic happened so there's two years there were festivals where you know, all in disarray. We didn't really know what was happening with the industry. So, I mean, I would have, I would have shot it a year earlier, perhaps. So that would have expedited. We would have been able to put it out pre-pandemic or maybe even during the pandemic. That would be the one thing. In terms of shooting it, obviously, it's tough to shoot with such a a, a micro budget. We did a pretty good job of, um, you know, putting money where we needed to, whether it was in gear, whether it was sound, like sets, or like many things like that. There's always um, better decisions, but I think. I don't, I don't know if I regret it. There were so many people and so many awesome um, people that were involved in terms in uh, donating their time and volunteering. Like that was just, I, I think the one thing you can really get when you watch it is that, you know, it's kind of a labor of love. It's like a passion project that also, you know, is, is, is a, an entertaining movie to people. I, I hope that know nothing about it. So in terms of regrets, I don't really have any except that when we shot it, which is again, totally out of our control. Yeah. So I guess the last or one of the last question I have for you is a pretty simple one, I think, which is what do you want? Like if someone watched this movie and then they left, what would you want the first thing in their head to be? What was your first thing? Um, I'm I'm not sure what happened. 
that might be <laughs> well, like what did i just watch yeah well i mean it, i guess it would be um there are a couple different things for one it's be, be, because we shot that for basically eighty thousand dollars people would be like oh wow like you know this type of indie filmmaking exists in canada um where it's kind of weird and it's out there and it's doable i think that will be a thing and also like yeah like what the hell just happened i, I think th the fact that it doesn't belong to any specific genre in terms of there's some action elements, there's some, you know, comedy elements, there's some thriller elements. I think because of that, I think I would like people to think and analyze what had happened. And then also to think, are they in on it? Like when you write it, like, wow, there's a lot of meta things because it's a, it's, it's such a genre movie that, you know, existed in the eighties, but it's shot 30 years later. Were things done on purpose? Were things like meticulously put there on reason? Or is it just like total, you know, whatever, just mashed together? Ideally, there's a happy medium between all those things that people can watch and be like, oh, wow, huh. Ideally, it's just, they won't just go on to the next one. Ideally, it'll resonate a little bit for whatever reason. Yeah, I think watching it at 3 a.m. was also a bad idea on my part because I think it just <laughs> added to like some of like the craziness that happened. But uh, where can people watch this? If people are like listening, like, I want to watch this thing. How do I watch it? Well, right now we are screening it um, November 30th at the Paradise Theater, which is an awesome, really beautiful vintage theater that I think for this film, it's best experience in that place. You know, we, we all watch movies at 3M on our laptops, <clears throat> just like you did. But also I think for a movie like this to watch it on the big screen, because it's it's such a genre that, you know, you want to see it in, a, in an immersive cinematic experience, which I think a theater like that will be awesome. I'll be doing a Q&A after so I think that is the first place. And then it'll be online later on in December that we will announce going forward. So uh, November 30th at the Paradise Theater is where you can see it upcoming. There are links off the Paradise website. Also, we're partnered with Old Toronto, which they do with a lot of vintage and like throwback stuff. They've been posting stuff. So that's kind of where you can catch it. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you there. Perfect. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. I Again, I love the film. I think everyone should go check it out. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone for watching and make sure you go watch this movie because, you know, you're going to, it's good. It's, it's a great, it's a great film and it, you know, Canadian films are important to support because they are like, especially films that are actually Canadian, right? Like you said, yeah. in name and not just in, uh, like in location and in story instead of just in location. Exactly. And I think for this film, it was important to, you know, we're not trying to be Canadian by, you know, putting, you know, maple syrup and like whatever. It's just not is. stereotypically Canadian. You're just real it, Canadian. Exactly. It, it just is. We, we, we didn't try. We, you know, we don't have to take any in any boxes. It just is because we're Canadian. And that, that, that's kind of it. I, and I think that's a that's a real strong point because, you know, there are not a lot of films like that or that are, that are just unapologetically themselves. Most, most people just film here for tax breaks and then they leave. Correct. And then they flex on it saying, oh, we did this movie in Canada. It's like, yeah, you did, but only for monetary reasons. So yeah, ideally, yes. Going forward, ideally, there'll be more films like this coming out. Perfect. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much for listening to the interview. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe to the podcast feed. We have new episodes coming out basically every Wednesday around the same time. And you can also check us out, uh, CB, check out CB Media Network on YouTube and all podcast apps for even more great content. You can also follow us on social media at comicboys underscore and you'll get updates on everything going on over there along with cool shorts and other stuff. And shout out to Iyad, um, the amazing editor and producer of this podcast. Anyways, thank you for listening.